I, I think we just want to keep massaging this morning. We're just kind of massaging some of the building blocks of building successful local churches that relate together to a team and to one another. And uh, I wanted to speak into a whole another area of that, but uh, just uh, wanted to remind you, I'm sure you must have heard of this, down in, the, in Texas, there was a drug uh, officer, and uh, he stopped at a ranch in Texas and talked with an old rancher. He tells the rancher, I need to inspect your ranch for illegally grown drugs. And the rancher says, okay, but do not go in that field over there, as he points out the location. The drug officer verbally exploded, saying, Mr., I have the authority of the federal government with me. Reaching into his rear pocket, he removes his badge and proudly displays it to the rancher. See this badge? This badge means I'm allowed to go wherever I wish on any land. No questions asked or answer given. Have I made myself clear? Do you understand? The rancher nods politely, apologizes, and then goes on with his chores. A short time later, the old rancher hears loud screams and sees the drug officer running for his life, chased by the rancher's big Santa gratuitous bull. Must be a big bull. With every step, the bull is gaining ground on the officer, and it seems like he'll get gored before he reaches safety. The officer is clearly terrified. The rancher throws down his tools, runs to the fence, and yells at the top of his lungs, Your badge! Your badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> I want to talk about authority today. Not always handled wisely. But my point I want to make today is to understand that God is in it. God's instituted leadership in every aspect of life, both in workplace, in uh, government, in church, in family, every area is covered. He works through leaders and he wants us to recognize and honor that. How many have found to have a committee in the workplace? You've been on committees in different places. It's good for everybody to have a voice, isn't it? But somebody at the end of the day has got to pull this whole thing together and say, okay, here's what we're going to do with all these different opinions. And somebody has to be in charge. Some years ago, I was at a gathering before I started relating to NCMI, and uh, it was a gathering of ministries from all over the Northwest, large group there. At some stage, they decided to break us into groups, and uh, we were about 30 or 40 people, put our chairs in a circle, and uh, we just chatting away, you know, some, <laughs> nobody, they'd asked us to do a number of things, but it wasn't happening. Uh, it was just going on. So finally I got up and I said, guys, I think we better accomplish something here and just took charge of the thing and everybody just fell right into line. It's like until somebody stood up and took leadership. I was so impacted by that fact, you know, just the simple fact of stepping up, taking the leadership. Something was accomplished that day that wouldn't have been accomplished. We would have just gone on and on talking to each other, you know. God works through leaders, he gives them authority, and authority starts with the Godhead. It's an extension of his authority. We look at the Godhead, it's such a picture of team, isn't it? I mean, perfect harmony of team. You couldn't get better. But we do also understand there's headship there, even in the Godhead itself. Within the Godhead there is authority, and they all have authority over the earth, but... Uh, they're working together as a team, and everyone has an input, and everybody has a part to, ta uh, to, to do. 
But Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. I do only what I hear and see the Father doing. And hard to imagine, isn't it, in the, this Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But after the cross, we're told all authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus and uh, that he's going to hand it back to the Father. Then the end will come when he hands the kingdom over to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, power, and authority. Oh, he didn't put up the... Oh, you didn't put it up at all. Uh, they pointed me... You've got a real good uh, sound deck here. They pointed out to me I had the wrong scriptural heading for that. So trust me, that's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> You'll find it if you go looking for it. Then the end will come and he, when he hands the kingdom over to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, power, and authority. Well, from that Godhead, that authority goes out into every kind of area of life delegated to every aspect of life. Starts in marriage, as we heard already. There's a team there and uh, equal partners, and we need complete input uh, of the, the team, the whole team. If you've got kids, let them have a part to play in it also. But at the end of the day, there's real harmony in a marriage if we understand that there's authority there. And that's one of the things as pastors we really, one of those building blocks we want to try and get into couples before they actually get married, to understand that without that, yeah, yeah, you're equal partners in this, but, you know, and without it, it causes chaos, you know, there's, there's a tension, there's something wrong there if you don't put things into God's order, you know. And then in family also, honor your parents that it may go well with you. So there's a blessing that goes with honoring and, and a covering that comes with it. Kids that honor their mother and father, there just is a covering that happens there in family and in marriage. Let me point out a few scriptures that speak into areas of authority uh, that we all touch on in the natural. And the first one is the workplace, Ephesians 6, 5, says, slaves... Obey your, heavenly, your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. How are we doing? We got it. Good. That is the right scriptural reference there, by the way. Uh, I mean, what an extreme example, isn't it? Scripture really hits it hard. Aren't you glad you're not a slave? I know you feel like a slave sometimes to the man, but, but uh, this, is, this is a real strong situation. You think... Rise up, slaves, and overcome your masters is what he should be preaching. And certainly the guys on Jesus' team, the, the zealots who wanted to throw the bums out, you know, they, these are hard scriptures here, I'm, I'm sure, for them to be sitting there listening to that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Really? Ay, ay, ay. And not just good masters either, evidently. <laughs> just as you would obey Christ, that authority is an extension of God's authority. If it is, and it is, then you must admit it's kind of a different way we're going to treat those in charge of us in the workplace. You know? Certainly what we have to say about them. You know? When you hear the disrespect in what's said and the things that are done in the workplace... You have to go, hmm. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you can't work for better conditions, and, uh, and we, we're all for that. But uh, I just want to point out that you can actually change the atmosphere in the workplace, 
Not by preaching at everybody or teaching everybody how they should act, but just acting differently. Have you found that? It's really fun. Just be different. Just don't give in to that complaining about the boss. It, it seems like here we live in the best country in the world and the best part of the country in the world, Victoria, and uh, it's just so bizarre, you know. You want to say, look, can we ship you off to some other part of the world? You're whining and complaining that goes on at work, you know. Just don't give in to that. Well, how about government? Romans 13.1 says, let every soul, if you're in every soul here this morning, God's talking to you. If you're not, you're in the wrong place. Sorry, we'll send you to heaven. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That word, that Greek word is huputasso, and it means to subordinate, submit itself unto. Uh, it's not a light word we're talking about here. I just want to point something out. I did do a bit of a study on this because I'm sure questions are coming to you that come to me when I was doing this. And uh, that is when it comes to government. Well, the guy is writing this, the government's saying don't meet as, uh, as a church. And uh, as we know, they're meeting underground. So I looked into this thing and they, they said there actually is room in this word. There's another Greek word that you could uh, say is absolute obedience to you. But this word evidently has a little bit of room in it. I, I just leave that with you. But it does give you that room to move, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Authorities that exist are appointed by God, an extension of his authority. Now, if I'm standing there, I'm going, we're talking about Caesar here? <laughs> I mean, it's not just a dictatorship we're talking, and a dictator, but an absolute dictator. I mean, this is a despotic dictatorship here, and you're asking me to submit to him? I mean, throw the bums out. What are we doing here? What kind of a preaching are you giving here, Paul? Yeah. And just to point out there that he says, if you resist, you're going to bring judgment on yourself. So there's a, re a protection in recognizing to resist, you come out from undercovering, very obviously when it comes to government. You know. But every authority that exists is from God. Well, I, I don't know. If I was standing listening to Paul say this, I'd say, can we get a second opinion on this? I mean, really. <laughs> this is hard, uh, finding this tough here. Let me go over to Peter. He's a fisherman, down-to-earth working man. That's what I want to hear. Paul's obviously spent too much time in university. He's got a way out there somewhere. Let's get some reality here. Peter, 1 Peter 2.13, Submit. Uputasso, <laughs> subordinate yourself. For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, God is into that. Thanks a lot, Peter. We really appreciate that. I mean, he just takes it further. He goes right down into detail. Every area of government, God has called us to submit to, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance talk of foolish men. Live as free men who do not use your freedom as a cover-up for their evil, 
live as servants of God, show proper respect for everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Submit, respect, honor, and fear God. Again, in what we say. Hello, everybody. We can work to vote them out. That's the kind of system we have here. You didn't in Rome when this is being written. But we need to understand they're an extension of God's authority, and we better be careful how we talk about government. Kind of forget some of these scriptures, don't we? I mean, when you hear people just dissing government, I, you know, I appreciate sometimes the government that's in is the one that I voted in, but a lot of time it's not. And uh, I, I could be not happy with what they're doing or who they are, and, but I don't have the right to diss them. I don't have the right to put them down and say all manner of evil against them. I can work towards seeing them removed, but I don't have that right. They're an extension of God's authority, and I better be careful what I have to say. Just wanted to remind us all that in the season we've been living in. All right, how about in the church? That's where we really want to go with this. All authorities that exist are appointed by God. How much more so in the church, where we're actually looking for God's leaders, and we appoint them and lay hands on them and set them in as leaders in the church? So much more so. It says in Psalm 77, verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You think, well, I thought... God led Israel out of Egypt, you know. Yeah, he did. But he used leaders to do it, you know. All right, well, that's nice. That old, that's Old Testament. How about Hebrews 13, 17? Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You want them blessed and refreshed, by the way, you know. I appreciate we all get this, what I'm sharing with you, but I just want to give you some biblical grounding in this, and especially those who are leading churches. You can't assume everybody gets this. You, know. you just have to massage this stuff from time to time into your church, all the foundational stuff you're hearing this morning. And Scripture's clear that we're talking about elders here, just to clarify that, because he doesn't say elders, he says you're leaders. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. So we're talking about elders here. Obey, submit, honor, double honor. Even if you look in the context, I've got to take time to look at that scripture. But he is talking about financially. It includes financial blessing. You want to make sure that those who are leading your church are well looked after, even to the doubling of what the standards wages in Canada right now. It would be appropriate. I mean, a lot of churches can't do that. I appreciate you may not be in a position to do that, but we should, uh, we should see them blessed and refreshed. They carry a lot of weight as leaders. I know I've told this story before, but I like it. <laughs> I was in Africa, and I came back from Africa, and a friend of mine uh, was an elder in a church in the, in the city that I'm from. And he, um, he was, had been a successful businessman in many different ways, had led top corporate positions, uh, plant, uh, planted, I was going to say planted, started up a number of successful businesses. And uh, now, because 
things went sideways with the pastor, he ended up leading the church. And he said to me, he asked me to come preach, and he said, I've got like 40 or 50 people. I forget how many it was exactly. I want to tell you, Ivor, this is the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. You know. Unless you've actually lead a, led a church and stand in that place, the weight, the spiritual weight is what you carry. I mean, besides all the logistics of all the stuff that goes on. So I said to him, how is that possible? You know, I can't believe. He said, because any place that I worked in, in the workplace, I was the boss. If you didn't line up to what I wanted you to do, I'd just fire you, you know, get somebody else. Eh? But he said, guess what? You can't do that in church. <laughs> I said, oh, you're finding out, you know. So I thought, note to self, don't ever be a lead elder in a church. Uh, I, I put that right down. I wrote it in there. But evidently, God had another plan, you know. Evidently. All right, I don't want to go on about that too much, but I just do want to point out that we want to bless them, refresh them. Elders are the highest authority in the church, just to remind us ourselves of that. The apostolic prophetic team is an invited authority. We don't come in and start dictating. If, you don't get, if I don't get asked to speak into areas of the church, I mean, some churches just have you come in and preach. And most of the time, everything's going good, you know. <laughs> but sometimes there's glaring stuff. You think, ask me, ask me, ask me, you know. I mean, some people I have relationships where they've said to me, anytime you're in here, you speak into my life and speak into this church. But I just want to point out that we take it seriously. We're not coming in pushing our weight around. It's models that do that, but it's just not appropriate. It's an invited authority, and uh, we treat it that way. Who direct the affairs of the church. The King James Version says that rule, and the reason it says that rule is that Greek word, is, we heard, as we heard from Tyron, is quite a strong word. It means to stand before in rank. So you think, well, how much authority do I have? Sometimes you take, not in our ranks because we, we help train guys with that, but sometimes guys step into the place of leadership in a church, and they think, mm, you know, how much do I have? What can I do and not do here? It takes a while to find that out. But uh, it is very good for us to know that they have authority to direct the affairs of that church and take it forward into everything that God has it. I just want you to relax now. I'm not talking about absolute power over your life. I appreciate this whole thing of authority has been abused. You are responsible for your life and your family. All I can do as a pastor is advise you in that, you know. But on the other hand, <laughs> as Paul says in Hebrews 13 here, if you never listen to anything I say, you're going to frustrate me, you know. Because now I'm responsible for your life before God. And if you never listen to what I'm preaching and never take any of my counsel, just treat it as we got a problem here. But if you're asking for counsel on something and your elders are saying, here's what we're feeling, we could miss it. I mean, you've got to put it in the mix of your life there. But guess what? We don't miss it all the time. Otherwise, we should go look for another job, you know. I mean, if they're speak, trying to speak into your life, listen to what is being saying. Some people give you this attitude, come desperate for the situation they're facing, and then you try and speak into it, and they get it like, who do you think you are, you know? I want to go, uh, did you invite me over to speak into your life, or did I miss something, you know? All of areas of the response of the church should be submitted to them. 
So in running areas of a local church, we need to recognize there's a line of authority. There are elders, there are deacons, there are people doing different things in the church. But it's delegated authority to the elders. Authority comes from the elders to help with the care of the flock. We have deacons, you know. And uh, we need to recognize that. Sunday school teacher wants to make a change in the direction of the Sunday school. She doesn't say to well, it doesn't even come and bother talking to the pastor. I mean, how inappropriate would this be? You know, This is my Sunday school. I've been running this for 20 years. Nobody tells me what to do. may not say it that way, but you can get that feeling, you know. I really believe that uh, what those doing, working in oversighting areas of the church need to do, they need to go and pursue the lead guy and say, look, if he's not asking to see you on a regular basis. You need to go talk to him. You don't want to carry this thing by yourself. This is a major part of the souls of this church that those elders are responsible for, and they've given you delegated authority to help run that area of the church. You want to keep in close contact, if you're smart, with those that are leading the church, and it is appropriate. That's They're responsible. How about worship leaders? I was a worship leader at one time, so I don't have any problem saying these things to you. But the elders are the, are the worship leaders of the church, you know. You've been given a responsibility for this time of the church, a major time. Then you need to be completely submitted and working with and what direction, things you want to change in it, in any area of the church, need to be run through the leaders. And so in the middle of a service, uh, this happened to me <laughs> one time. When I was leading, I did one song, and the pastor that was leading, he got up and he said, I really believe we've hit it this morning. That's it, you know. Sit down. Now, if I had an attitude of, you know how much time I put into preparing this morning? You know how early I was here to make this happen? You can't take the rest of those songs away from me. Well, the question is, what are we doing there, you know? We're here to meet with God. We're not here for you to have your little entertainment time, you know, just talking to some practical areas here. How about small group leaders? I think anybody leading a church has run into this at different times, but I think it's good to train everybody to understand. If you've been given the oversight of a small group, whatever you call it, you're helping the, the elders who are responsible for the shepherding of this flock by taking a group of people and getting them together and speaking into the life. All that happens in the dynamic of that. So if those elders say, look, for a season, we've got this book or this program we want to do, and we want to bring everybody together at the church, so we're asking you to shut down your meeting. I don't know how many times over the years I've had a reaction to that. It shocked me, you know. I thought, I think I better teach on this now and then. I don't think everybody, you can't assume everybody gets it. But that's not your group to run. You're a delegated authority looking after those people. And if they say, hey, for this season right now, we're going to have this subject, and we want all the groups to meet together and discuss this thing and work it out, here's some questions. Great. I mean, I'm running a group right now. I love it. You know, Mark's in charge of the church, and I've never felt better. I want to tell you, somebody else has got all the responsibility. But uh, we love running our group. But I, I, I mean, I think, yahoo, you want to take over and come up with the stuff for teaching in this thing. <laughs> Do me a favor, you know, that means I don't have to prepare something for this. Are you with me this morning? Getting awfully quiet in here. 
<laughs> I recommend a book to you. John Bevere's written a book called Undercover. It's actually a video series too. Unless they updated, I wouldn't recommend you look at the uh, video series. I mean, John Bevere's got to be one of the best communicators I've ever heard. Whenever I listen to him, I go, oh, Lord, you know, it's not fair. It just has a real gift. But if you look at the video thing, we, we had it and showed it, but it's scary, you know. You might get scared I'm just because they're all wearing 80s uh, clothing, you know. And I'm just saying, I'm just warning. There's a warning that goes with this. Very scary. But John Bevere tells a great testimony. He was in the church. They had 200 people on staff, you know. We're talking about a large church down in the States. And he was the youth pastor. And they developed this whole program. It took them three months just working through the, the uh, youth and the team that were running the youth, large group they had. And, uh, and he had talked about it with the lead uh, guy. I mean, every, every team, elders is in plural. But every team needs a, a leader, right? So we have... Visionary elders is what we call them. It's not really a term from the Bible, but we've got James and the elders. It's like James was in a leadership place in the Jerusalem church. But uh, it's good to run it back by. So he had run it by this program they were doing. The pastor said, that's great, you know. And now he develops the whole thing, and they're just ready to launch. The guys are all pumped. He goes to the senior guy and says, we're going to go. This thing is really going to be great, excited about what's happening. And the lead guy says, hmm, I don't know. I appreciate, you know, back when you were talking about putting it together, but uh, God's doing some different things, and we're not going to go with that. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> So John Bevere has to go and get before God, and he's complaining and complaining to his wife, and it's like the Lord just grabbed him and said, you got the wrong attitude here, boy. Not only do you need to get a hold of your attitude, you need to get a hold of how you're going to communicate that to the rest of your team. Because you can either build unity in the church or you can build discord in the church and have a whole bunch of people upset and heading out the door just by your attitude. When you say, okay, I'll be a deacon, I'll be a home group leader, I'll be a worship leader, you've got a responsibility now. You have the power in your hands to either help this church move forward behind the vision of the elders or to disrupt that and break down that, cause discord in the church. And it is really interesting when somebody gets an attitude, how many people go out the door with them. But John Bevere fortunately heard God, and he went in with his whole team and he said to them, guys, I got some exciting news for you. You've got to be a salesman. <laughs> you know this thing we've been working on for three months now and we're excited God's rescued us from going down the wrong path, you know. I talked to the lead, you know, give him the whole thing. By the time he finished, everybody's going, yay, wow, fantastic. <laughs> Not just submit to, but honor in the submission. You can build unity in the church. Elders are responsible for the vision and direction of the church, just reminding us of that. Divisions made up of two words, division is... Tyron tells us, and uh, it's when there's more than one vision, you know. So, in saying all of this about different areas, I think it's good to point out that we're not wanting to squelch vision. I mean, those leading the church desperately need people with vision, you know. 
But what you need to do is submit that vision to the vision of the church, you know. If it's a vision that you've got and it's going off here somewhere, it's not going to be helpful for the church. Build unity. Unity is a powerful force. David recognizes the need to honor. How are we doing here? Good. Got another hour in. When am I supposed to stop? I started. Okay. All right. You guys want to fast today. I'm glad. David recognized the need to honor. And uh, even when Saul, I mean, it's such a powerful picture, isn't it? Saul's seeking to kill him and take his life out. David knows, he's had the big man himself, Samuel, prophesy over him that he's called to lead Israel and that Saul's on his way out. He's already got that. He's already had an oil poured on him and been anointed for the job. It's already been seen. All his leaders know he's the leader. And uh, yet in the midst of this interesting thing happens. I mean, again, you know, not submitting completely. <laughs> Saul wants to take his life out. Good to get out of town when the spears are flying, right? So he's not obeying fully, but it's the heart attitude in the obeying, you know, that's at stake here. First Samuel 24, 5, afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe. He said to his men, Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he's the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So he didn't seek to avenge himself. He didn't seek to take that position. It's mine. It's already been prophesied. I'm just going to go take this. Uh, and I, that's a good reminder for us. God's the one who promotes, you know. If you ever find yourself striving and trying to position and make a place for yourself, you've got to wonder whether you're really called to do that thing or whether it's the right timing, you know. You don't have to push your way into leadership. Let God promote you. All you've got to do is faithfully save, serve with a right heart and then let God open the doors, you know. Everybody said Amen. <laughs> <laughs> David caught the heart of God not to touch God's anointed. I will not touch God's anointed. Now, I appreciate that this term has been misused, mishandled. You know, I can do anything I want to. I'm the lead guy here, and you do not touch God's anointed, you know. I can abuse you all I want, you know. That's not what it's saying there. It's the heart attitude towards. And... Uh, some leaders can hide behind that. I think if there's a controlling spirit or an abuse going on, spiritual abuse, you need to head for the hills. But be sure not to dishonor honor in the going or to take people with you. That is dishonoring, you know. And be sure there's not an offense in your heart. Because you are going to be blinded by that, you know. Everywhere I go, I want to say that. Jesus said, take the plank that's in your own eye. You're going to have a plank in your eye that you can't see properly uh, if you're offense, offended against somebody. Get over it really quick. And I want to say to both elders' teams, deacons' teams, or any kind of team that you have in the church, you really got to deal with offense quickly, you know. You are a covering for the church, you know. And you start getting odd against one another. You cannot afford to have odd against one another. As soon as you do that, it's the enemy's game. He tries to get us to fight with one another. Uh, 
Let me move on from that. On the other hand, having said that, uh, you know, the misuse of this term, I'm God's anointed, you can't touch me. Uh, on the other hand, it's amazing what people can call controlling, you know. <laughs> controlling is me telling you anything you don't want to hear, you know. Paul recognized this principle uh, in Acts 23, verse 2. He, uh, he didn't realize he was talking to the high priest. You remember that story? He dishonors him by dis, uh, insulting him, and he has to repent of it when he realizes this is the high priest. So here's the church and the dispensation of God that was going before, and here's the new move of God that God's doing. But as much as we're moving with the new of what God has for us, we're not looking back and dissing the church that was before us, you know. We've had all these moves that God is restoring things to the church. And I, I just want to remind us here, not only are we not called to dishonor in the workplace or in government, we're not called to uh, dishonor in church also. And amazing what people say about the church that goes before. You know, I, I, my sister married a Catholic guy, and he went on to be a chaplain in the prison system. And those two people love the Lord, and they put me to shame when it comes to loving people, I want to tell you. And uh, I think we better be careful of some of the things that we say. I appreciate the system they came out of. We get into interesting conversations over the years. Now we've decided not to go there at all, you know. <laughs> Harmony in the, in the family better. But not only that, my, my sister says, all right, you want to talk about the Pope and what he does? Let's talk about some of these things the Charismatics do now. You pay $1,000 and you're guaranteed you're going to get healed. All right, all right, all right, stop right there. You know. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I was out for a walk one day and I saw a guy leaning against a tree and he really looked like he was in trouble. So I went over him, an old guy, an old guy, you know, not like me, young. So I, so I said, to him, are you okay, you know? And uh, he said, oh, no, I'm just a bit tired. He said, I'm just resting. I'm okay, fine. I said, well, I'd pray for you if you got something wrong, you know. I mean, we believe Jesus can heal people. He's, he lit right up and he got teary-eyed. He said, I'm a Catholic. He said, you know what? Jesus is the most precious thing in my life. You know? So I told that to my sister. She said, I've been trying to be, tell you for years. There's a lot of people who love the Lord in the Catholic Church, you know. There's a lot of people just doing church, but guess what? A lot of people just doing church everywhere, you know. Numbers 12.1, I can't leave you without giving you these two really tough examples, but Scripture says that those things are written down for our instruction and for our warning, you know. Well, these do relate to us. Numbers 12.1, Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. <laughs> you like that line? He hears everything, by the way. So there's an interesting progression in this of taking offense. I mean, he's got a Cushite wife. Why should... Never mind the fact that he had a Cushite wife when God set him in charge of a church of two million people. But that leads to questioning the call to lead. God speaks to us also, which is true, he does. But the wrong conclusion is to take offense now. So why should we submit to this man? That was the conclusion of the matter. Wrong conclusion. 
I wanted to share this one here because their error was viewing giftedness over authority. We are believing God is going to move in these last days, and He's going to pour out miracles, signs, and wonders on His church, you know. I've watched over the years somebody just get a healing, and suddenly, there's a man now, you know. <laughs> start getting an attitude. What about if we start working in miracles? What about if you're in this local church here, and you just come to the whole level of a miracle worker, like a Catherine Gooman, you know? You're just seeing amazing miracles happening all over the place. Well, that's what we're believing for, and that's what God is promising us in these last days. So I want to warn you, when that starts happening, your giftedness starts coming out. Keep in a good relationship with the elders, please, please. It's a protection, a spiritual perfection for you. And that gift will help build up the church, not just build up your ministry, get people saved. You want to build up this church. If two, 3,000 people are going to start coming here, you want to do everything you can to build this thing and make it strong because handling two or 3,000 people, that's going to really be fun, isn't it? God calls it out. Shouldn't you have been afraid to criticize the man that I appointed? Interesting, Miriam, who's got this ministry, this church-wide ministry, I mean, she suddenly gets leprosy and she hasn't got any ministry at all, you know. Talk about isolation. Forget about the mask, you know. <laughs> you just can't be around anybody, you know. Well, God did that. They both repented and they're restored, but the church is held back. Number 16, one Kor, son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent. Became insolent. Why did they become insolent? They rose up against Moses with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders. You need those numbers if you've got a church of two million people. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy and every one of them and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? Insolent means showing rude and arrogant lack of respect. You know, not supposed to do that in the workplace, not supposed to do that to our government, whether you agree with them or not. Why should we listen to these elders? It's again putting gifting over authority. I mean, because they were gifted people in the workplace, in the community, then they came in and were made leaders in the council of the church, and suddenly, why don't we listen to this guy Moses? I mean, he, he's looking after a few goats in a field somewhere, you know. Why should he be our leader? But it's God who anoints and appoints leaders in his house. And he will use gifted men, and he will use gifted men and women who are gifted in the marketplace. But he's the one who does the appointing. It was not Moses who set himself over the assembly. So judgment falls on these men, and they and their households are swallowed up. Aren't you glad we're in the New Testament? We don't see whole groups of people. 14,700 people lost to the church. 
It's a dramatic example. God is listening, and uh, these things were written for our instruction. Rebellion is contagious and brings death. I mean, even if the land doesn't open up and swallow them. But unless there's repentance, there's always going to be a loss. All right, let me move out of the New Testament, go into the New Testament, give you a really great New Testament scripture. It's found in Isaiah 32, verse 1. Look at the context of Isaiah. The, the chapter's on both sides of it, and you got, mm, this is moving on from New Testament. This is speak, uh, from Old Testament. This is speaking into the New Testament. It's such a great scripture. See a king, Isaiah 32, verse 1. See a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. And each man, who are the each man, the rulers, will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert in the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. God's set authority in the church. Each one, rulers, leaders, will be like a shelter and a refuge. There's a covering there. These three different terms here, a shelter, a refuge, or a shadow. I mean, this is a desert community we're talking to here. And uh, they know the value of a shelter. You, know. you can live or die according to a shelter in the desert. You, know. you want to find some kind of shadow. I mean a shadow. You can live or die according to a shadow in the desert. Certainly you can have all your energy sapped out of you. So that's the kind of terminology there. You say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't Psalm 91 say, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty? Yeah, it does say that. And he is, for you personally, a shelter, a protection. But there is a spiritual protection that God brings through godly appointed elders over the church. And if we stay in right relationship with them, there is a protection in that. So you want to do whatever works towards that. Don't get an attitude. Keep blessing the leaders of the church. Like wives recognize authority of their husbands, brings order and harmony and a covering in a natural family, so it is in the church. And I will live with, leave with this scripture. First Thessalonians 5.12, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you or over you in the Lord who admonish you. They work hard leading this church. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Everybody said amen. You want to stand? Can I pray for you? For our next man comes on the scene. Father, we just thank you. It's great to understand these things. It's great to be reminded as leaders the need to uh, massage some of these truths, building blocks in the church, Lord. We thank you for the amazing privilege we have, Lord, especially in our togetherness here where we get to speak into areas of what it means to be an elder and how to handle authority. It's a whole other subject. Um, we're, we're in churches where there's good, healthy relationships, Lord. But we thank you, Father, many times people come from other relationships where it's not so healthy. Uh, they may have been hurt by uh, authority, Lord. Or maybe there's somebody who've rebelled in the past. Uh, we just thank you for repentance, Lord. We thank you for a healing of hearts. We thank you for repentance. And we thank you there's always a new day with you, Lord God. Bless and release each one of us now. In Jesus' name.